Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 1 through 39, uh, I entitled it, We Will Not Neglect the House of Our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. Um, I want to read this verse to you. It's something that I heard that Tony Evans talked about today and this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 29, if you want to turn there or, or scroll through that on your Bible, through your app. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised... Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates that, uh, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that uh, cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now the reason why I read that to you is because what's happening in the church is we've gone through a little bit of a shaking. COVID, we see the the nations divided politically, we see the nations divided by race, we see the, the, the separation of the culture. And so what's happening is God has taken things and disrupted it from the physical earth, so we focus on the kingdom and the king. Okay? And, and so in America, you know, we've gone through that shaking up, and, and, and a lot of the church has too. But, but God trumps class, race, politics, and culture. And as we see Nehemiah and the people of Nehemiah, they were led by the Lord not only to read the word of God, to have revival hit the city, but at the same time, revival hits the city. They confess their sins, and now they're going to get to taking care of the temple and the needs of the city. And as a nation, that's one thing that we need to get back to. God may be shaking your life up a little bit. And, 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 and it's to focus on the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. Those things, can't be, as a Christian, it shouldn't shake us up. But we've seen so many Christians just flake out. And, and they go a progressive Christianity or they go a different way or they fall out away from Christ. And it's like, we cannot be shaken by race. We cannot be shaken by politics or health or conflict. See, we, we have to be obedient to God's word. And I love that, receiving the kingdom, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what you received when you gave your life to Christ. He's your king. He's your king. And, I, and I'll, I'll probably get some flag for this. Trump's not your king. Biden's not your king. 
I'm not sure who would want that, but right? But we as Christians need to point people to who? Christ. Christ. That's how we're going to impact the culture. See, and what we see here in Nehemiah, we see a covenant that was being signed from the people of Israel, and they're leaving a life of disobedience back to being obedient to God. And that's what we need to do. We may have been shaken up. We may have been knocked around a little bit, but it's time to get back up because you have Christ. When we look at Nehemiah, the, the, the first thing you're going to see out of Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 27, is 84 men. You're going to see the, the priests that sign in, in, in verses 2 through 8, and the leaders in verses 9 through 13, and then many other citizens. And, and every one of their names are important, and they're written down. And the main thing that is important to us is to make sure our name's been written down in the book of life. But I love what I love about this the most is, is we see them making a covenant, and the first name that's on the covenant is Nehemiah, the leader. We lead by example. Now we've seen covenants before in Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. It says, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we make vows, or we make a covenant, but we've made a covenant if you've been married. That's a covenant between God and you, and your wife. Marriage is created by God. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But as Christians, we, we can't keep our promises. We found that out as we read chapter 9 last week. As Israel fell time and time again, but God keeps His promise. That's why you, you shouldn't be shaken. You know, by whatever's going on in your life, and, and one of the things that Tony Evans said was, that which I loved, is his, his mom would turn... Tell them to turn off the cartoons on Saturday morning when the thunderstorms were going. She goes, God's speaking. We need to listen. In the middle of the storm, God's speaking. We need to be listening as believers. And time is wrapping up. And so we, we, we see these covenants that are made. I, I think one of the things that we know is is as a covenant that we make as, as a, a marriage covenant with God uh, till death do us part, as we say. And unfortunately, we've broken that covenant as Christians. We've seen more divorces in Christian marriages. We haven't set the example there. We've broken that covenant time and time again. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those who have old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for that, uh, for that it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not, make, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And I love this, verse 37 of Matthew chapter 5. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yes or no? Yes, Lord, is what we should be saying. And we know that we fall under a new covenant with Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 24. And it said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Jesus is the new covenant. So as we see those names, we see on the, on the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakali, and I'm not going to do any, y'all will, your head will be spinning if I try to read all 27 names. Because I'm sure my southern draw men, Vic, were just talking about how Siri doesn't recognize our voice. And you know, both of us have spent time in Georgia for some reason, our draw or whatever it is that we have, it doesn't, Siri doesn't pick it up. We can say it over and over and over and over and over, and it just never, never gets it. It's frustrating. So verses 1 through 27, uh, again, those deal with the, uh, the, the, the Levite, the priest, and these are all leaders. So we see the priest from verses 2 to 8, the Levites from verses 14 to 27, the leaders from 9 to 13, and then the, the rest are, are citizens that signed the covenant. And so when we get to verse uh, 28, where we pick it up, it says in verse 28, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all have knowledge and understanding. So the group did not sign, but they were helpers to support the covenant. And so no matter what your status was, whether it was rich, poor, regardless of what it is, God has a place for you in the kingdom to serve. He has a place for all of us. Every member, because you see that list that's given there, the wives, their sons, their daughters. And they, and they have to separate themselves. That's one of the things that you see is they separated themselves. They gave up their idolatry and their worship. They separated themselves because when they allowed the foreigners in, that's when the idolatry came in. We were reading Ezekiel today in our reading, and, and it talks about the, the divination. It talks about how they had false prophets claiming that they were from God, and it was divination. And, and they were being fooled by their own people. There are, there are people doing that now in the, in the Christian culture. And you need to be careful. You need to be checking on that stuff. What you're following and what you're looking at. We need to separate ourselves from those things. And so they came out of the world. They stopped practicing them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through 11 says, Are, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality. I'm going to stop right there. I had a conversation with somebody about this today, uh, yesterday. The word homosexuality is not in the Bible. That's not true. The word wasn't, wasn't made, I think, into the English language until the 1800s. The origin of the word actually goes back to the sodomites. 
If you actually look at the Strong's Concordance and you, you actually uh, dive into it a little deeper, you actually see that it, it, it turns out to be one of the, the words from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a, with a male as with a woman, both have committed a, an abomination. They shall uh, surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And that Greek word for homosexuality means one who lies with a male as a female, a sodomite. Now, the other thing was, is that was the Mosaic law. That's the other argument I got. Now, all of this came about because there's a pride parade in New Bronzeville. If you don't think these things can happen in your town, you better wake up. And you better know the Bible. Because if we go to, 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 the, to the New Testament, it says in Jude 7, verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, were, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, they served as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. It was sexual morality. And that word yada actually means to know in Genesis chapter 1 or chapter 4 verse 1 it says now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying I have gotten man with with the help of Lord yada yada means to carnally know somebody what happened in Genesis chapter 19 verses 4 through 5 with the in Sodom and Gomorrah it tells you in scripture but but before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, where are the men who came, came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. The same word, yada, carnally. It's the same word in Jude. It's the same way that Jesus talks about uh, the the... The husband and wife, people say, well, Jesus never spoke on homosexuality. He said that marriage is between who? A man and a woman. There, and here goes the other argument for transgender and all the other the, they, what, and whatever they come up with, the pronouns. Okay? He said they're created what? Male and female. That's what Jesus said. Now, I don't have any problem if that's the lifestyle you want to live. I'm just giving you what the Word of God says. It's up to you to make the decision if you're going to walk away from it or not. It's a sin. It's a sin in God's eyes. And so when you tell me that homosexuality is not in the Bible, it is. And the reason why they were separating themselves is because when they had the foreigners come in, they practiced this stuff. They practiced it. And, and it created problems for the nation of Israel. So that's why they're separating themselves from all of this idolatry, including sexual morality. And so we see, nor thieves, nor greedy, this is back in verse Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, we'll pick it up where, where we were at. It says, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You have been separated. You have been separated if you've given your life to Christ. Stop going back to the old stuff. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The other thing, they separated themselves from the people of the lands is what? To the law of God. They, they separated themselves and they, they embraced the word of God. In 2 Chronicles 15, verses 3 through 7, it says, For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without a law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, and he was found by them. That's in 2 Chronicles 15, verse 3 and 4. They cried out. So if you can't understand God's word, you need to cry out and ask God to help you. But you need to separate yourself and be in God's word. In those times, it goes on in verse, verse 5, in those times there was no peace. I want you all to get this. Because this is God that does this. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nations were crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. Have you been troubled in 2020? Wake up. God is trying to shake you up. What's going on? You have the kingdom. You have God. God, God will wake up his church if he has to. He'll let a nation go down. Why? Because they turned to God. They turned to the Lord God of Israel. And the best part about that verse is he found them. He, 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 he took care of them. Verse 7 says, But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. It's like, hang in there. I know it looks bad right now. There's a two-year-old at the border. If we don't think we got a border problem, we do. When you leave a two-year-old, that's my grandchild, by herself, they left a two-year-old child by themselves. If that doesn't alarm us, what's going on? It should make us wake up. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be letting people know, hey, that's, that's not right. Psalm 119.1 says, Blessed are those who, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of, uh, the, law of the Lord. If I'm going to separate myself to God's word... I'm going to walk in the law of the, of the Lord. And I'm not going to worry about who I shake up. That's the problem right now. The Christians need to wake up. You're, you've been in a slumber. God's trying to wake us up. 1%. 1%. This is what Tony Evans said. 1% is controlling the narrative of the nation. Where are the Christians at? We, we, we need to separate ourselves. We need to get back to the things, our first love. We need to get back. It's just like when we read Nehemiah. They, 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 they got back to the Word of God. They got back to worship. They confessed their sins. They turned as a nation. And now we're seeing the, the, the fruits. They're saying, hey, look, I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to live by God's Word. 
And then we see in verse 29, they agreed with the covenant. There was no opposition. There was unity within the body. Unity within the body. And Nehemiah 10 verse 29 says, Joined with their brothers and their nobles and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God, His rules and His statue. Yeah, a curse. You know what the curse is? If you don't walk in God's law, you think you're going to be blessed? If you're going to be disobedient? You're expecting some kind of blessing? No. You, you walk in a, not the curse, but you walk in the oath and you walk in God's law. You're guided by God's law. The oath is a reminder that you, you walk in God's way. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're expecting God's command to guide us to, to the right and to the, the, the left. God's way is the best way. And when you ignore His commandments, you cut yourself off from the blessings of God. And you bring serious problems into your life. So don't walk in, in the way of the curse. Walk in the oath. And we see the spouses. He, he says, we will not give up, in verse 30, we will not give up our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now this is a touchy subject for some. Okay, first off, we see that they're separating themselves. They're not going to allow their daughters or their sons to marry foreigners. Why? We just talked about some of the problems that happens when they allow that. Joshua tells us that in Joshua 23, verses 12 and 13. It says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of the nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them, that they... Uh, that they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they will be a snare and a trap for you and whip, you, whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the, the good ground that the Lord your God has given you. That don't sound like a blessing, does it? Thorns in your eyes? I mean, you walk outside in Texas, you get those thorns that can get your feet. They're big sometimes. Imagine that stuff in your eyes. Nehemiah, we're going to see this when we get to Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13, verses 26 and 27, it says, Do not, Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin on account of such women? And look at, look at the mess that ended up making. Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him a king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him, even him, sin, him to sin. Shall we listen to you and do all that this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? No. That's why when we talk about this subject, we have to talk about being unequally yoked. And that's hard for some people. There may be somebody watching this online and you're, you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're living in sin. That's the other side of sexual morality that nobody wants to talk about. You know, it tells us in 2 Corinthians verses six and, uh, six, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And there's some of you thinking, oh, I can save them. 
Only God can. You're, you're going to go down a hard road if you marry an unbeliever and you're a believer. Why would Paul put this, put this in the Word of God? He's trying to warn you. And, and, and you see the same warning that was given to Nehemiah's people. Don't marry the foreign foreigners. Because then the idolatry comes. The divination comes. The witchcraft comes. And all the other stuff that they bring in with it. Right? And what was it? The necromancers and all those other things that they had back then? They brought all that stuff in. And it was a snare and a trap. It was thorns in their eyes. Marriage is a, is a sacred thing. And, and I've said this before, you know, when we deal with sexual immorality, it's not just homosexuality. Anything, anything that's done outside the marriage bed between a husband and a wife is sin. Okay? It's sin. You can't, you can't scoot around that. So when you separate yourself, you're separating yourself from that stuff. You're letting go of that stuff. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For our God will judge sexual, immoral, and adulterous. So when the foreigners would bring in their idolatry, see? And sexual morality into the nation. That's why you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. Marriage is created by God, and Teresa told me this today, and I thought, yeah, you're right. She said, you, you want to have a pride parade, but if you wanted to have a, a marriage created by God parade, oh no, they wouldn't have that. They wouldn't have that. See, everybody's opinion matters, but whose? Yours. And that can't happen no more. We have to be able to stand up and say, you know what, it's not right. You know, if you want to you play the gender thing and the science thing, then I want to stand up and say we're all created by, by God, male and female. I want to have that parade. I want my month. Where's my month at? Right? You do that, you're going to have a war going on. But it, we need to start doing that. We need to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when concerning the manners about which he wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman... But because of the temptation of sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. It does not say each man should have his own husband and each woman her own wife. It's male and female. So that's why he was saying we're going to separate from the foreigners. We're going to allow our, our sons and daughters to marry Israelites. Israelites. Verse 31, it says, And the people of the land bring in goods or any grain of, on the Sabbath day to sell. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of debt. So we, we talked about the Sabbath on Sunday, and we talked about that being a, a day of rest, and it was made for man by God, right? And, and, and unfortunately, by the time we get to it in Mark, it becomes a, a thing that is a, a hindrance to the people because of all the laws the rabbis added to it. But here he's talking about the Sabbath because what happened is the foreigners would come in and try to sell 
on the Sabbath. And then it would cause Israelites to fall and go by and, and they'd practice it. And so they were, they were actually neglecting the Sabbath. And they were like, we're not going to be disobedient. We're going to observe, observe the Sabbath. And that's the same thing for us on Sunday. We talked about it. We, we, we need rest. Your body requires rest physically. You can't run at 100 miles an hour all the time. You got to rest. I mean, it's, it's, we need that. So we need to be able to do that. Soil. And so the other part that he was talking about was giving rest to the land. The seventh year, right? The forego the crops of the seventh year because we know that's what brought them uh, out of the land was because they neglected to give the land rest every seven years. And so in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 3 and 4, that's the, the scripture that, that covers that. It says, For six years you shall uh, sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But, but in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. The land needed rest as well. And it's a reminder to us. I mean, if, if God is saying that the land needs rest and you should rest, it's okay for you to take a day off every once in a while. All right? All right we talked about that. Uh, and then the other thing it talks about is, is it, it talks about the foregoing of, of crops on the seventh year for the exaction of debt. They actually canceled all the debts on the seventh year. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I'm done. Take my car. I'm done. Right? But they would cancel the debts. That's actually in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, At the end of the seven years, you shall grant a release. That's it's, it's grace, man. And, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord released has proclaimed. And so they weren't practicing these things, but now... The people of, of Nehemiah's time are saying, we're going to practice this stuff. This is what got us into trouble. We're going to practice it. And, 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 and we're not going to be greedy because that's what happened. They were, they were charging interest on top of interest and, and they became greedy with the, uh, with the debt. Now they get into the giving of the care, uh, the dealing with the giving and the care of the temple. In verse 32, it says, We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of God for the showbread and regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, and the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offering to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of the Lord. So what you're going to see is you're going to see the word uh, house of God or house of the Lord uh, nine times over these verses, and it's, it's them restoring the temple. They're restoring temple worship. And that, and that requires ministry. And, but, but I love it. You know, they're, one of the things they say in verse 39 is they're not going to neglect the house of the Lord. Right? And so God has, has been good to his people, and, and, and they're, they're expected to support God's work. You know, it, it goes back to Ephesians chapter 2. You were, you were made for good works. You're saved by grace. Not by works, but you are made for good works and and everyone in some form or fashion should be actually serving it, it, it's demonstrating god 
in our life to others. And as we talk about the shekel, it goes back to uh, Exodus. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 12 through 16, it talks about when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when, you're, when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Each one, of, one who is numbered in the census shall give this, a half shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is, is 20 geras, uh, half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in, numbered in the census for 20 years, old and upward, shall give the Lord's offering. It didn't sound like he was asking, right? He's telling them. This is what you're going to do. Right? And then the rich shall not give more, then the poor shall not give less. Then the half shekel will give, uh, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement... Uh, money from the people of Israel, and you shall give it to uh, give it for the service of the tents of meeting that may bring the people of Israel remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. And so, what we see is it gets real tricky when you start talking about money. That's when people get nervous, and, and I know this was going to be hard, and all because I, I remember talking to my dad. We were just talking about this today. You know, I can remember at Grace when I when I first started serving. I thought CPS just gave them electric because they were a nonprofit. And Joe's like, "No, we're a business, bro. We got to pay the electric bill. You know, we have to pay the water bill." I was like, "What? I thought the city just donated that because you're a church." That's how naive I was. And and so you you start understanding as you read through Scripture and you you're going through it. You know. One of the things that we see in these scriptures is it is dealing with your time, your talent, your treasure, your first fruits, right? And that, and that's what God is really getting at. And and so, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, as I always told y'all, I'm not going to talk about money, not unless it's in scripture. That's not my thing. Um, it, it tells you in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six and seven. Right? The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I know we know that verse, right? And I can remember when I first started going to church, it was sporadically. And then I started learning more about God and understanding that that, that was something I wanted to do. Um, and, and and at the end of the day, it's like you, you start understanding this is the one area where God says to test you. You know, test me. And and so we got that letter from Miss Alma that she sent in her testimony. And, and I can tell you, she said I could share some of this, so I'm not, I'm not putting her business out on the street, but she, she told me, Ray, when Ray, her husband... Um, got sick, and I'll hurry this up because I know we're running out of time. When her husband got sick, he was getting an MRI. The dye from the MRI paralyzed him. He was allergic to it. And he almost died. Uh, Ray owned his own business. He, he laid carpet for a living. And, and so when Ray went down, the business went down. And they had nothing. And, and she, she said it was very hard 
they went through their savings they went through everything and and she she says you know that you test me and so she all she had was a dollar that's all she could afford to give so she gave the dollar and then after that she would give two dollars and after that she would give three and and the lord just kept providing for them time and time again and you're talking about somebody who has no insurance because he owned his own business he didn't have his own insurance lost his business and now is sick and paralyzed and now she has to quit because he requires full care and yet god provided for them eventually they ended up getting a lawsuit or something and and because of the the hospital putting the die in because it was in his records that he couldn't have that and they were taken care of but she she said that god put it on her heart to give a dollar that's all i you need you know and that's what she did and, and it goes back to that verse you know and and um oh man i'm trying to remember that verse where the the lady gives and 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 jesus you know it, it, who do you think gave more and, and she was all she had and she gave it and she gave everything and, and C.S. Lewis says, I don't believe one can settle on uh, how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And, and that's what they were doing. They were, they were, you know, here they are. They're, they're trying to take care of the temple. And they're, they're saying, we need, to, we need to make sure the temple can run. And whatever y'all need, we're going to take care of it. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, it says, Will a man, will a man rob God? You, yeah, you are robbing me. But you say how we robbed you in, in your tithes and contribution. You are cursed with curse, uh, with a curse, for you are robbing me, the, uh, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tide into the storehouse that there may be food in the house and there may uh, and there be put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not open the windows of heaven. Uh, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And God says, test me. Verse 34 says, We, the priests, the Levites, and the people likewise cast lots for the wood offering. So casting lots is like a... It was something they would do. It's like a lottery. We're actually going to talk about this uh, next week as well. Um, as we get into verse 11, uh, chapter 11. Uh, as they cast lots to go into the city. It's almost like a lottery. And they're, they're, who's going to go? Uh, and it says, uh, casting lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God, according to our Father's house, as a time appointed year by year to burn the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. And so the wood, wood burning, they didn't have enough priests to do this. And so people would have to volunteer to do this, and they also needed the wood, right? They also needed the wood. So they, they, they're saying, hey, look, these are the things that we need. And... You know, we need wood to, to take care of the offering. So people are going to step up and do that. In verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of our fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. This sounds a lot familiar to what happened in Exodus, right? And this sounds very familiar as they go into the promised land. They're, they're, they're going back to the thing that God had originally set. And also bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in our house of God, the firstborn of your sons and our, our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of your herds and, and our flocks, and to bring the 
first of our dough and, and our contribution, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, and for the Levites who collect the tithes of all our towns where, where uh, we labor. And the priests, the sons, Aaron, shall be with the Levites. And when the Levites receive the tithes, then the, the Levites shall bring up the tithe uh, to the house of God, to the chamber of the storehouse. And so what they're saying is you see first fruits is five times it's written in there. And it's very important. He's saying the first fruits of the Israels. And, and the tenth is something that people will get stuck in their head. Yeah, I'm supposed to give a tenth. That's, that's the Mosaic law. Okay? Here's, what we, here's what's on the website. So just in case you want to know. All right? Our belief is God gives and puts it into your heart, and we will not let our needs be known, nor be compelled, uh, not, not or compel anyone to give, but we will gladly receive offerings given from the heart that is grateful to Jesus. We, won't, uh, we want you to be led by the Lord when it comes to giving, and many get into a theological ar- argument over the Old Testament law, but we just believe in, in grace giving. It's from the heart. That's why we tell you the tide box is there. It's between you and God. Okay, that's how it is. I won't go into that any further. Verse 38, And the priests and the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites. With the Levites receive their tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe, the tithe of the house of God, to the chambers of the storehouse. And then in verse 39, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who are ministering, and the gatekeepers and the singers will not neglect the house of God. That's where our title comes from. We will not neglect the house of our God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of of God that, that has been given among the church of Macedonia for the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in wealth and generosity on their part. They didn't have it to give, but yet they gave. It just reminds me of Miss Alma when I read that verse. And, and so uh, what we see now is, is they're, they're saying, we will not neglect the house of God. We're going to do what God has called us to do and so what is our application tonight? Application number one. Have you forgotten who you have been separated to? They separated themselves, remember in the verse. We're either separated for something or to something. We'll allow something to pull us away. We've got to be careful with that. That's why I said in Nehemiah 10, 28, it says, and all who separated themselves from the people to the lands of the law of God. If you've given your life to Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 19, uh, in verse 20, it says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You need to glorify God. You've been bought with a price. You can't allow the world to shake you up and separate you from God. Not saying that you can ever be separated from God, but what I'm saying is, is like you can't allow the enemy to push and pull you away. Where I, I, I'm too tired to go to church. I don't want to read the Word of God today. I don't feel like praying. It's just going to separate you and pull you further and further away. And, and, and you, need to, you need to lean in, not be shaken. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. 
And therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You shouldn't be shaken, right? In reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Nothing will separate you from your first love, Jesus Christ. You need to, if you're, you're, in a relationship, you're in a relationship with Christ, you're not in a dead religion. If you've allowed sin to separate you, you just, you just ask God to repent and come back. But some of us have allowed the world to get into our lives and it's, it's created this little, little divide. And we need to be careful with that. Second, how is your commitment with the Word of God? Can I tell you the church has a commitment problem with the Bible? We hear that all the time. He has a commitment problem. He don't want to get married. Right? Men. That's how men are. But I can tell you the church has a commitment problem with the Bible. And it's a major problem with the church. We'll, we'll binge watch a whole series on a weekend, but we won't pick up the Bible. We'll spend hours on our phone or playing some PC game, but we won't spend time in the Word of God. They separated themselves to the law of God, right? They separated themselves and they, they, they put themselves in, in, a, in a place where they were going to not just worship God, but be in the Word of God. And that's where we need to be. And then finally, the last one. Does God receive your first fruits? Okay? That's a tough question. That's something that you probably need to pray about. Does God receive your first fruits? And what I mean by that is, does God receive your first fruits, your time, your talent, and your treasure? This is the verse I was looking for. It. I couldn't. I don't know why I had it back here, but it's here. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their, their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had and all she had to live on. We're Christians. And one of the things that I pray is that, that, that everything she had, she gave to Christ. And for us, everything we have should be the same way. Everything we have should be, God, whatever you need, it's yours. Uh, and, and, and we shouldn't be shaken up by the things that are going on in this world. You know the thing that's going to stabilize you? The Word of God. Spending time in your relationship with Christ in prayer and, and fellowship. And, um, and that, that's my prayer for you. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll close out. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. We do pray uh, for all of us, Lord. It's, it's not an easy, easy chapter because, I mean, we have to deal with money. And money is a hard topic for anybody. And so I pray, Lord, that, you know, if there is an area that we need to work on, whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure with our first fruits, that we would, we would pray over that and not do it walking out of here out of guilt, but do it because that's what, what we're being called to do, what you're putting on our heart to do. 
at the same time, I pray for those that may be struggling with the Word of God, with the Bible, trying to read it, trying to spend time in it. You know, help them overcome that, Lord. And we also pray, Lord, if there is something that's creating separation in our relationship, uh, just cut that off. Cut that off. It, it, you know, let us separate those things from the world that we need to let go of, those foreign things that bring us into sin. And so, Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. I do pray. Uh, I pray for my brother who needs just that clarity, Lord. He needs an opening here, um, here in San Antonio, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I pray that you would put it on his heart, that you would open a door, uh, that they would know that's exactly where they're supposed to go and what they're supposed to do. And I pray for, for the back, you know, for, uh, just for healing, Lord. And just thank you, Father God, for us being here. I pray for each person here. I ask that you bless us, uh, you know, uh, work in our lives, Lord, and, and, and allow us to apply your word. And we thank you for, for allowing us to be in this building. I pray for Marcus and pray for the night of worship that's coming. And um, hopefully we can get all those people that we scheduled to reschedule to the new date. <laughs> so we pray for that. But we pray, Lord, it would be a moment for the, the city to come together and, and return uh, to worship you as a unit, as a in unity. And we just pray that, Lord, and, and we just ask that you just continue to be with us as we, uh, uh, we're here, that we can get out and, and serve and, and tell people about Christ. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, Sunday, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let me see if I remember my title. Stretched and Healed on the Sabbath, I think is the title. Uh, let me see. I may be wrong. It may be Stretched and Restored. But we'll be in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you need to get a hold of me, you need, to, you need prayer. Uh, you need to find out information on the church. Anything. It's all on the website at calvarydivine.org. God bless you all. Y'all have a good night. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.